Perhaps if you've got your Bibles, you keep them open at those passages in Matthew 6 and 18. Um, We're going to start by, I want to show you a picture, which uh, hopefully Keith will be able to put up. Thanks, Keith, for sorting out all the technicals today. That's the one, if you can play that one from the beginning. If you play the, oh, you've, right, okay, um. That's it. Um, have I got a thing to control it? Or... Oh, is it? Yeah, I've got it. Yeah, lovely. Fantastic. Um, oh, can't quite read the bottom bit. Sorry about that. Um, this, some of you may have recognised this if you've learned and done any psychology. This is, a, this is called Maslow's Triangle of Needs. And in um, 1943, Abraham Maslow, psychologist, uh, wrote a paper in which he tried to analyse uh, how people um, develop and, and what needs that they have. Um, and as you develop as a personality, how your needs change. What are the most important needs? And at the bottom of that, where you can't read, sorry about that, it says um, physiological needs, basic needs. So our, our, our really you know, if you're thinking about your needs, most of all, you probably think about your stomach, um, and you, if you were in the water, you'd probably think about oxygen. Uh, you know, things that we need to survive are basic needs, food, oxygen, water. Um, they, they are kind of like what you might call our basic needs. Once our basic needs have been satisfied, uh, according to Maslow, the next level of need is safety. Now, I think I'd probably take issue with him because if I were in the middle of the Maasai Mara and um, suddenly a lion was coming towards me, I would not be thinking, where's my next sandwich coming from? <laughs> you, get, you, you, know, okay. you, you know what I mean? Uh, at that particular moment, my need would be for safety. Uh, but in, in general, uh, he, he said then actually safety. Then after we are safe, we've got our basic needs, then our next level of need is love and belonging. We're moving to a different level of need, not physical needs now, but, but more emotional uh, needs. We all need to experience love. We all, uh, and, and Glyn was mentioning in our prayer about the Father, we all need to be loved and we need to feel that we belong. And then the next level of need, uh, once we belong, is, is a sense of self-esteem. That actually we, we realise the value that we have as, as an individual because of the way we are in God. I mean, Maslow's not particularly talking about a Christian point of view, but I think we can, we can uh, see that. That actually we need to feel uh, that we, we are important. Um, you know, so many people have a low self-esteem and... Um, and then the, the top level, uh, self-actualization, is actually being set free to be the person that you really are. Um, later on in his, in his work, Maslow added another uh, level, self-transcendence, to kind of even transcend above who you are and to be free. And I think if you see Jesus, you can, you can see how, how that, uh, this, this works. I mean, he, he, in the desert, of course, he, he, his needs were food, but actually he realized that he needed the higher levels of, uh, of, um, of things. So he, he, he needed the spiritual encouragement from, from God, the word of God, and, and ultimately he, he was prepared to let go of all of that because of a higher cause. You know, I, I, you get the, get the kind of picture. So let's think about the Lord's Prayer now, how that comes into this. 
Um, last week, Nat and Sarah um, were leading us in the, the first petition, or no, the, the, the first bit of the prayer where we think about our personal needs, which is, of course... Ooh, the right arrow, that's what I thought I was pressing. I'm going to press it. Oh, no. Can you bring it up for me, Keith? Yes, lovely. Thank you very much. Um, give us our daily bread. And, and you will see that actually the, the first thing that Jesus tells us to pray for for ourselves is for our basic needs, which uh, is, is, is basic food and as... as uh, Sarah showed us very neatly last week, she had a loaf that opened up and inside it were other things that we need as well. Uh, but actually our basic is basic food uh, and water, etc. Um, so now we come to the, uh, the next part of the Lord's Prayer. And, uh, and after, after uh, asking for our daily bread, Jesus says, ask for, forgive us our sins. Hmm. So we're moving to a different level of praying now, aren't we? Nothing about our physical needs. It's much more, if you like, emotional, uh, spiritual kind of area. Um, Matthew, in his prayer, uh, actually says, forgive us our debts, which I think is something probably is easier to understand in some ways. If if you're in debt, uh, and a a very high proportion of our population are, probably even people here, uh, you know that's a horrible thing. That if... um, you, you know, you owe something to somebody and you can't pay it back. That's a, is a really bad place to be. So using that illustration of sin, it's like having a debt, a debt to God. Uh, you can't pay it back. There's nothing you can do to pay back to God for what you've done to uh, break his law. There's nothing you can do. And uh, this um, forgiveness... Uh, forgiveness comes, I think, at two, uh, two levels. There's the now... There's the uh, need to be forgiven now. You, uh, have you, perhaps you can recall a time in your life when you've upset someone and you, you desperately long to be able to go and say sorry to that person and be forgiven. Now, sometimes it's possible, uh, and I would suggest to you that uh, as I was, I was conducting a marriage yesterday, marriage uh, in Bristol yesterday, and one of the pieces of advice to the couple was, you know, don't let the sun go down on your anger. That if you've got an issue with someone, especially in a, in a close married relationship, something like that, deal with it straight away. Don't let it get to the point where it's festered. And uh, you know, so there is a burden of unforgiveness which we need, and, and, and I know it weighs very heavily on our hearts, doesn't it? If if we've done something to someone and, and we need their forgiveness, or if someone's done something to us and it's heavily on our heart. It's, it's a heavy burden. But then there's another dimension of forgiveness, which is the eternal dimension. Because if we believe uh, in, in what the Bible teaches us, if, if we want to go to be in a relationship with God forever, we have to have our sin wiped away. We need to be forgiven. And, and Christians have this incredibly arrogant claim, if you like, that the only way to have your sins forgiven is through Jesus Christ. That's why a lot of people don't like Christians, because that is a very absolute truth claim, uh, which some other people would not accept, but uh, we believe it's true. And so, ultimately, we need to have our sins forgiven by God, uh, uh, um, because there is an eternal aspect to this. 
Our eternal destiny depends on the fact that our sins have been forgiven. Now, as, as you, as you uh, know, I've said it a few times, I go to visit somebody in Dartmoor Prison, and um, he sometimes talks to me about whether he can make, make up for the things that he's done. And the answer is he can't. He cannot make up for those. But he can know, and I believe he does know, that in God's eyes, he's been forgiven. So there's the two things, aren't there? You know, um, uh, the now and the eternal. And, and the universality of this is so uh, strong as well. Ro- Paul writes in Romans 3, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is about everyone. It's not just about people who've done something and landed up in prison. Uh, it's, it's everyone needs forgiveness. And as I said earlier, if anyone's got no sin, I would, I would love to meet you. Because the, the question is, when, when you put the question, have you, have you done anything wrong? I said, no. The next question is, are you proud of that? Yep. Yeah. Right. Proud to sin. Okay. So, you, you know, we take that for it. We all, we all need forgiveness. And so sin is, is primarily uh, against God. In, in Psalm 51, when King David uh, has sinned by court, committing adultery, uh, he's gone through the whole of the Ten Commandments, starting at number 10, coveting, uh, you know, um, telling lies, and, and then he's, he's, he's eventually got to actual adultery, and then he murders to cover it up. You know, he's gone the whole gamut, really, hasn't he? Um, in Psalm 51, he says, Against you and you only have I sinned. He recognises that his actions, his sin, is against God. And so, first of all, we need forgiveness from God. And that's what this prayer is about. It's addressed to our Heavenly Father. Father, forgive us our sins. Just like uh, Joshua was there appealing to the king to, to forgive him the debt. That's what, that's what we're doing. We're saying, Father, forgive us our sins. And, and probably the most useful prayer is the Jesus prayer. Do you know the Jesus prayer? Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's, I pray that one a lot, actually. Um, it, it's a short, and it, it's, the, it's the prayer of the, of the tax collector in the synagogue, isn't it? Uh, uh, against the Pharisee, who says, look what I've done, Lord, I'm righteous. That simple prayer, coming to ask God to forgive us, is what we need. And so when we come to the table of communion, which we do regularly, it's a guarantee and a reminder of that guarantee and promise, your sins are forgiven. Now, in some branches of the church, they seem to suggest that only the priest can tell you that, but actually it's God's word that tells you. And when we come around this table and we eat the bread, Jesus is saying to you, your sins are forgiven. And sometimes it's hardest to accept that and to forgive ourselves. But actually, as far as God is concerned, if you brought it to him, you are forgiven. But the second aspect of sin is that it also affects other people. So what I've done is obviously a sin against God, but in terms of, let's take King David, you know, it affected obviously Bathsheba and and Uriah was sent to his death. And all of the relationships of David, if you look at the chapter from chapter 2 Samuel 11 onwards, David's life becomes very much more difficult. 
be all the problems that result from his sin. So there is a consequence of sin. Even if we've been forgiven by God, we have to live with the consequences for now. And the two sides of this, we need to forgive other people and we need to ask for forgiveness from others. That's quite hard to do, actually, to go to someone and ask for forgiveness. But it's, it's very necessary. And sometimes it's possible, and sometimes, sometimes they may say, of course, I forgive you. Other times they may not. You know, you hear people on the news who've been the result of tragedies, and they say, I could never forgive that. And that is hard, and I respect how difficult that might be at times. And yet we do need to ask for forgiveness, but also we need to forgive. And that's where the second part of the prayer, the third part of this verse comes in. Now you've finished, Keith, you can relax now. Forgive us our sins, debts, and then there's another bit, isn't there? As we forgive those who sin against us. This is, uh, if you like, um, a conditional a conditional phrase here in the prayer. But the little word as is an interesting one, isn't it? As could be interpreted in a couple of different ways. It could be like in the same way as, like a motivation to forgive. So knowing that Jesus has forgiven us, that we should go and do the same. Um, do unto others as they do to you. I, I, I recall a conversation I had at MOT uh, with Mike and the others. I, I was asked to take part in a debate uh, at Hillcrest School in, in Bristol uh, and they got an atheist, uh, a humanist and a couple of Buddhists and me and, uh, and a, a Jewish person I think. I can't remember what the panel was made up of. Um, and um, the, 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 the children in the, in the whole assembly asked questions of this panel and then each person had to uh, answer and, and the humanist said, "Well, we don't have a creed and all that kind of thing. We just live by uh, things. Do to other people as you want them to do to you." So when it was my turn, I said, "Well, actually, he's just quoted Jesus because that's what Jesus taught us to do, isn't it? Uh, so what Jesus has done for us, we should be motivated to do for other people. Or you could read it as a condition of our forgiveness. Forgive us our sins, debts." Only in as far as we forgive other people. That's scary. So we come to the communion table and we ask God to forgive us, but we're holding a grudge against somebody in our heart. So if we take it to the second way, it means that God's forgiveness, although we normally talk about God's forgiveness as unconditional forgiveness, which it is, but here, there is a kind of condition, because if we want to receive forgiveness, but we're not prepared to give it, can we receive God's forgiveness? Well, I'm sure there's an awful lot of people who have gone to their graves uh, with unforgiveness in their hearts. But who does it affect? It affects not only the person you won't forgive, but it affects you, doesn't it? It eats away at your heart, and you become bitter, uh, and, it, and actually, you're the one that suffers, And if we take that prayer in the second way, then, of course, there are eternal consequences. So it's a very strong word, and this is why I said this is a tough part of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins, Lord, as we forgive other people. We've got to have um, both. Because it could say, unless you forgive, you are not forgiven. 
And so this is hard teaching. And so no wonder Peter says, Jesus, um, how many times must I forgive my brother? I love Peter, don't you? He's great. You know. He's like me. He's got the, tw- the size 12 mouth. You know. Every time he opens it, he puts his foot in it. Uh, he, but how many times? He wants to quantify it. Seven times? Is that, is that a fair number of times to forgive, Lord? Uh, or 70? Jesus says, no, not seven, but either 77 or 70 times seven, 490. Uh, but I don't think Jesus is being literal here. Uh, so, uh, Karen, that's the 490th time that I've forgiven you. Next time. <laughs> no, do not count sins, yeah? Uh, love keeps no record of wrongs is, is an important thing, isn't it, as well? Um, so Jesus is not being literal here, but he's saying, basically, go on forgiving. And that can be really tough if you're in a situation where someone keeps doing things, uh, uh, you know, to hurt you. Um, that can be a very, very tough thing. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying it's simple to work it out. So Jesus tells the story of the unmerciful servant, which was beautifully acted for us. Uh, and it puts it in context. The king has forgiven a debt of a million pounds. Wow, and Joshua was bouncing around, wasn't he? He was really pleased. Yes. And then, you know, just for a fiver, suddenly he's, his brain has switched into me mode. Oh, you owe me a fiver. But yeah, but you've just been forgiven a million. You can surely forgive him a fiver, but no. Uh, And therefore he landed up in prison. It can be really hard to forgive. Now one of the most um, powerful books I've read um, is is this one. Exclusion and Embrace. It is by uh, a guy called uh, Miroslav Volf, who is a... um, a, a Croat. And let me read to you just the introduction. Uh, he's a theologian, and uh, he, he talks about another very eminent theologian of, of this century and last century called Professor Jurgen Moltmann. And he says, after I finished my lecture, um, which was about uh, forgiveness, Professor Jurgen Moltmann stood up and asked one of his typical questions, both concrete and penetrating. Yes. But can you embrace a Chetnik? It was the winter of 1993. For months now, the notorious Serbian fighters called Chetnik have been sowing desolation in my native country, herding people into concentration camps, raping women, burning down churches and destroying cities. I have just argued that we ought to embrace our enemies as God has embraced us in Christ. Can I embrace a Chetnik? the ultimate other, so to speak, the evil other, what would justify the embrace? Where would I draw the strength for it? What would it do to my identity as a human being and as a Croat? It took me a while to answer, though I immediately knew what I wanted to say. No, I cannot. But as a follower of Christ, I think I should be able to. In a sense, this book is a product of the struggle between the truth of my argument and the force of Maltman's question. So, in the context of the Yugoslavian war, the the rival uh, ethnic groups utter hatred and bitterness, and and that's repeated all over the world. Can I embrace somebody who has murdered my family? That's a tough one, isn't it? 
Um, uh, now, another time, I will act, we will act out part of the embrace, but I haven't warned Karen about it this time, so uh, we, we'll come back to that, that book another time, because it is, he, he uses the, the image of an, a people, two people coming together for an embrace as the different stages of forgiveness and reconciliation, and he uses the story of the prodigal son. Uh, but maybe, it's a really good, it's a, it's a heavy book, uh, it's, not, it's not light bedtime reading, but it is extremely good. Um, and I'll leave you with um, this story which uh, to be honest I don't know if this is a true story or a made up story but um, it's about um, it's called There Are No Coincidences and it's, a, it's an American story and it's about uh, a, a, a Roman Catholic priest called Father O'Malley who one night uh, I'll try and pray see this one night and a really stormy night um, in, in California, uh, he gets a phone call in the middle of the night saying um, from the hospital, there's a man here who is near to death. Could you please come and administer the last rites? So he, um, he struggles many miles through the floods and the storm and he gets there and uh, he says, um, hello Tom, I'm Father O'Malley and um, he began to say, the prayers of the last rites. Now they warned him that this man had been uh, an alcoholic and he destroyed his life. He was, his liver was not functioning. He, was, he hadn't got long to live. Um, he says, to, uh, after the amen, Tom perked up a bit and began, seemed to want to talk. Would you like to make a confession? O'Malley asked him. Absolutely not, Tom answered. But I would like to talk a bit before I go. And so they talked about various things. And after a couple of hours and several times of asking if he wanted to make a confession, he replied, Father, when I was young, I did something that was so bad, I haven't spent a single day since without thinking about it and reliving the horror. Father O'Malley said, I'm sure that God will forgive you. Tom, whatever it was, he is love. He wants us to confess and receive his forgiveness. He wants you to be free of whatever it is that's plaguing you for so long. Even now, I still can't talk about what I did, Tom said, even to you. O'Malley silently waited. Finally, Tom said, OK, it's too late for anyone to know to do anything to me now, so I guess I might as well tell you. I worked as a switchman on the railroad all my life until I retired a few years ago, and I moved up here to the woods. Tom's face became intense as the words began to tumble out. It happened during a bad winter storm with a lot of rain. 50 mile an hour winds and also almost no visibility. Two nights before Christmas, the whole yard crew were drinking all through the swing shift. I volunteered to go out in the rain and wind and push the switch for the northbound 8.30 freight train. Tom's voice dropped almost to a whisper as he went on. I guess I was more drunk than I thought. And because I was, I pushed that switch in the wrong direction. At 45 miles an hour, that freight train slammed into a passenger car at the next crossing and killed a young man, his wife, and their two daughters. I've had to live with that, my being the cause of that, of their deaths, every day since. There was a long moment of silence as Tom's confession of this tragedy hung in the air. After what seemed like an eternity, Father O'Malley gently put his hand on Tom's soul shoulder and said, very quietly, I know God can forgive you, son, because I can. In that car were my mother, my father, and my two older sisters. Powerful story, isn't it?
can we forgive? Well, there's, there's the requirement of Jesus. He will forgive us as we forgive. And we need to work that through. Maybe there are things that have been stirred up today that you want to pray with someone about or talk to, then please feel free to talk to me or somebody you know and trust in the church, um, either now or, or, or privately. You know, please give us a ring if you want to talk about anything. Uh, we're, we're around. Um, so I'm going to hand over back to Paul, I think, and we need to pray. I'll, I'll pray, then we'll hand over. Father, we thank you for your loving kindness to us, for all of your promises that are true. We confess our need of you. We confess how we find your word hard at times. Easy to read, but hard to put into practice in our lives. But Lord, help us to forgive and to receive forgiveness as you forgive us. Amen.